This week we saw three quite different films. We Indeed. saw Michael from Austria and we saw John Carter and The Raven. Now we're going to begin now talking about Michael because that's the toughest of the lots. It's a tough sell. It is a very tough sell and I I saw this on its release day but you saw it a year ago nearly. And it's stuck with me ever since. And it's probably going to stick with me for a much longer time. Um, I think, obviously, what most people will be concerned about with this film is the fact that it's about a paedophile. And the P word is never used, if I remember correctly. It's never mentioned at all. Um, and he also keeps a boy in his basement. Yes, it's a t- ten-year-old boy in his basement. And it sounds like it's going to be exploitative. It sounds like it's going to be a horror. And for that reason, I thought this was an absolutely outstanding piece of filmmaking. Yes, I would agree. It is an outstanding piece of filmmaking, and the way it handles such a um, controversial subject matter. Because if this was any other relationship, I think this would have been rated PG. Quite possibly, yes. And he said it's got an 18 rating in this country, which um, might make it seem as if there are some graphic and unpleasant scenes in it. And there certainly are some unpleasant scenes in it, but they're not graphic at all. Not at all. And never shown anything of the actual sexual abuse, which is... A clever move by the film, really, because it does avoid it becoming titillating in the wrong hands, really, which is... But this wasn't titillating, it was generally thought-provoking. And the one of the main reasons I loved it so much is that there were so many things in this I honestly did not see coming a mile off. There was a few moments in that were truly unexpected, and how often do we get that these days? Well, not very. I find I found the ending of the film, the very last scene, to be incredibly tense. One of the tensest scenes... That was brilliant. I've... Um, seen in a long time. I also think another standout scene is when he um, goes to pick up another boy, nearly gets away with it, but gets caught at the end, and instead of there being a big standoff or anything, he just simply disappears into the undergrowth. I thought that was scene was brilliant on many levels, because at some points, you honestly, and I know some people disagree with me on this, you didn't know where your sympathies were. My heart was racing during that scene, because basically he's trying to pick up a boy, but it is also implied that he wants that boy just to be his um, friend or a friend for the boy he's keeping in the cellar. Yes, the, the relationship between him and the boy in the cellar is um, a very fascinating one because at times it's made out to be like a father and someone, but I actually felt it was more like brothers. Almost domestic, yes. but when they're outside in public, you're right, very father-son. And there's a wonderful moment where they're out on a trip and they pass another father and son walking in the opposite direction, which in any other movie you would not even notice. But because of the tone of this movie, it almost made their relationship dirty and you haven't, don't even know anything about them. No, it was, a, it was a brilliant use of juxtaposition. And yes, I also just felt that the, the film was very good at showing that he's as trapped by sexual persuasion as the boy is by his basement. You are constantly empathising with him, but at no point are you ever sympathising with him. It's, you're under no illusion that what he's doing is an evil thing and he shouldn't be doing it. And at points even he realises that. And that's what makes this film so fascinating. It's so um, multidimensional. In a cheaper hands... That would have been so one-dimensional, sort of um, a Victorian villain, pure evil. But this is like an average guy. Yes, he's just an average guy. And I think also the film makes a point about the constant fortification of security in our homes and what people could be doing behind the barriers. And so much of the film was set in either the office where he works as a drone or his home where everything is shut and closed. And it just makes me wonder how something so cold and distant can be so involving. Which is even more surprising when you think this is a first-time director 
who has previously been known for just working with Michael Haneke. And surprisingly, he eschews the distant beauty of uh, Haneke's more recent efforts and creates something that's far more plain and ordinary in its aesthetic, but far more evolving and devastating, which I have to say I thoroughly prefer. So well done to Artificial Eye for actually distributing it in the first place, and congratulations for them for not playing the controversy card and emphasising what it's really about, and I hope that doesn't put people off from going seeing what is an incredible cinema experience. Well, the only thing that's put me off the film was buying a ticket by myself because I couldn't get anybody to go with me to see a film about paedophile. That was not a pleasant experience. But I have to say, if anyone's concerned that they're going to see something truly upsetting or disturbing in terms of a, a graphical image, that's not the case. They will simply see a tense masterpiece of cinema that truly understands the psychology of its situation. So also this week, you went to see The Raven, and which looked pretty um, historically incongruous in its trailer, so how did that play out then? This was bad. It really was. This was the worst sort of revisionism. This was basically a straight-to-DVD thriller transposed to the 1840s. Or, I should say, a contemporary cinema's idea of what the 1840s is. Well, how would it compare to something like... Sleepy Hollow. That's a good question, actually, because this was CSI Edgar Allan Poe, or right. Edgar Allan Poe Serial Killer Hunter. And this is very much a 21st century idea of a copycat killer transposed to the 1840s, and even though, as far as I know, the phrase serial killer didn't even enter the lexicon until the 1970s, and yet here it does appear on a newspaper headline. So that's a good example of it incongruous nature. Does it really have much of a plot or is it just that? Is it that just is that it. concept? A, a serial killer bases his killings on the works of Edgar Allan Poe, which is basically an excuse to get lots of saw-like torture devices into the film. So how much has it actually got to do with The Raven? Very little. And they've just traded it on that because it's famous. And gothic and it's dark and gory. So it's basically the standard serial killer template, just dipped in gothic Poe-like visuals. Trappings, yes. yes. It's, it's trying to be seven in 1840. <laughs> and John Cusack is equally disappointing in this. We both love him, usually can do no wrong, but in this one, no, nothing distinctive about his performance. He just wears a goatee and dresses in black. There's no... Uh, Where's his normal natural charm then in this? Because even in something like 2012, which is actually one of my favourite guilty pleasures of the last few years, he, he still had that. It was still John Cusack. And in this one, it doesn't seem to be making any efforts to plumb the depths of darkness and despair that I would expect someone portraying Poe to convey. But what's most really offensive is this contrived nature of fashionable elements like serial killer chic and gothic chic, coupled with these anachronisms and this disdain for history. Basically, this one makes Guy Ritchie's Sherlock Holmes look like Sherlock Holmes. And you went to see one of the most expensive films ever made, John Carter. Yeah, and unfortunately, it's really, in terms of a piece of cinema, it's not money well spent. Uh, it looks fantastic. It's probably got some of the best special effects I've seen recently. It certainly looks a lot better than Avatar. 
but everything under the hood in this film is horrible. It is just all over the place as a story, and it has one of the worst trends that I'm noticing in Hollywood films at the moment, which is that we just don't get character progression, motivation, we just get... Types. Types, stock characters, and they just assume that because they're stock characters, that they'll do certain things at certain points without ever having to justify it. And for example, with John Carter, he's not having a good time on Earth. He's being asked to fight for an army that's basically exterminating the native Indians, and being chased around by Brian Cranston for some reason. And then he shoots a priest who turns up in a cave, we later find out that these priests are supposed to be immortal, but they've obviously got a tremendous allergy to bullets. And he finds a medallion, and then he goes to Mars, and he has a, bounces around on Mars like Super Mario, because the gravity's less there. And he gets captured by a tribe of Tharks, who are four-armed green things. Um, and to be honest, they don't treat him that badly. He was having a far worse time on Earth, but he wants to go back to Earth, because that's what his character's supposed to do. He's also a total mercenary, but at one point in the film, he gets into a fight in the arena, which, I'm sorry, we've seen that scene before in Attack of the Clones. It's exactly the same. It's no different. Um, and he gets covered in blue blood from this monster, so he looks just like William Wallace. So at that point, of course, he's got to lead an army in a rebellion, in a war, of which the people, the Tharks themselves, have no real involvement. But, of course, this is what has to happen at that point in the film. And I'm just sick of it in Hollywood films. It's really lazy writing, and we really shouldn't tolerate it as an audience anymore. So the idea of someone on Earth going to an alien planet and starting a war to help the people on there does sound a bit like Flash Gordon. Well, it is like Flash Gordon, and to be honest, except it's nowhere near as fun or as camp or as kitschy as that, and to be honest, I'm getting a bit tired of this from Disney. It does take itself very seriously. Now, Disney, ten years ago, took a risk with a film in which it was a bit silly and a bit whimsical, and they were worried that it was too camp for audiences, and that film turned out to be Pirates of the Caribbean, which turned into a big success. You would have thought they learned their lesson, but I suppose I shouldn't expect anything more given how they treated the sequels to that film. But this also is a film that makes a classic sci-fi mistake of... In fact, I'm not going to call it sci-fi because it's not science fiction, it's science fantasy. And science fantasy should just get the hell on with it. It shouldn't explain what's going on, how everything works all the time, and this film falls into that trap. So there's a lot of exposition in this. More just explaining how devices work and so forth. So I'm not interested. I'm not interested at all. And there's some spectacular set pieces in it, but they've got no dramatic weight. It falls into the same problem the Star Wars prequels have. Great to look at, but there's no undercurrent of drama or risk or tension. You're and no characters. No, no characters. characters. Not a single one. I mean, if someone said to me, do you want to see a film with Dominic West, Mark Strong and Kieran Hines in it, I'd be up for that. Um, but they're totally underused. Dominic West's character in particular is just non-existent. He's supposed to be one of the bad guys. He just seems to be a, a whingy little twat, basically. And to go back to your original question, this is actually the third time Disney have made this film in the last two years. These big cash hoovers that they have, like Tron Legacy and Alice in Wonderland. A person arrives in a strange world, they have to unite an army to overthrow a tyrannical force, and I'm just bored of it. They're so serious and po-faced, and they're just, they're just not fun. That's the big problem. At one point, I did think maybe this could be like a great special effects film like we used to get in the 80s, but... Without char memorable characters, memorable plot manoeuvres or anything, 
it's just dull. It's just so, so dull and bland and boring, and I just hate it for that very reason. And you could have made ten films out of the money that was spent on it. And we just end up with a big gelatinous, transparent cube of a film that's just some special effects, a story that we've seen a thousand times before, and we're given no reason to care about because the characters are non-existent. So a variety of films this week. Yes, uh, one masterpiece that unfortunately people won't go and see. One bland gelatinous cube of a film that people probably will, unfortunately. And one film that, going off what you've said, will soon be forgotten.